And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we do not hear your voice, O God, we ask you to speak to each of us then, here in the quietness of our hearts. Amen. Well, let me be the first to wish each and every one of you a happy new year today. And before you think that I've got my calendar all wrong, you would be correct. I have the uh, secular calendar all wrong. Uh, If I tell you happy new year three days after Thanksgiving, um, I've skipped over a whole month of holidays, right? But But one of the beautiful things about being um, a member of the body of Christ, being a follower of Jesus. We have a gift in the traditions of the church of the Christian calendar and seasons of the Christian year. And so Advent is an opportunity that we have to have an early new year, an early time to start over before we actually do so with our everyday work calendars. And today is that new year. Today is that new day. So for everybody who was wanting to make 2020 a thing of the past, we're getting a head start on that today. Now, will the problems of 2020 go away when we go from December 31st to January 1st? Eh, maybe, but probably many of them will still remain. Many of the repairs that are still taking place, many of the, uh, of the re- much of the research that is taking place, much of the healing that we are starting to move into this year um, will continue into next year, and sometimes that can be a long process. But Advent in the church is an opportunity for us to look forward with anticipation to the fact that God has come to us. And that he is coming again. This first Sunday of Advent, in just a little while, we will be lighting a candle that reminds us of what it signifies, which is hope. And we are going to carry that word hope throughout these next four weeks and into the Christmas season. And focus on that word and focus on the many facets of hope because it is something that we need to focus on now more than ever. And when we think about the word hope, many things probably come to mind for us. But what I want first to focus on over these next few weeks is that line from the beautiful hymn, O Holy Night, the thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. The thrill of hope, being thrilled by hope. When we think of being thrilled by something, we think of it as something that lights us up. And thrill can mean really two different things. For instance, a couple of days ago, one of my best friends from college called me, and I missed the phone call. But that was actually a blessing in some ways because she left a voicemail. And I haven't talked to her in months. She's been very busy with work. I've been busy. We've texted back and forth. We've communicated that way. But there was something about hearing the familiar voice of someone so dear that when I heard her voice, there was a thrill that was there. And that's how many of us probably felt this week if we were in touch with family we haven't seen in a while or if we talked to them on the phone or saw them or heard their voices. There was a thrill, a momentary thrill there of something good happening. But there is another kind of thrill that grows over time. And this is the kind of thrill that we associate with hope. And a great example of this kind of thrill is when you find out that someone near and dear to you is going to be having uh, is going to be having a baby, that someone is expect, someone you love is expecting a child. And when you first hear that news, there's a thrill there. There's a, there's an, a moment of excitement 
But then as the pregnancy goes on and then after that child is born and you watch that child grow and some of you are in that place, you are watching your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and your nephews grow up. There's a, there's different, there are different thrills that come with different ages. There are different thrills that come with different developments in their lives. And that's the kind of thrill that we associate with hope. It's a thrill that doesn't die, but it's a thrill that only grows greater, that changes, yes, and may come in waves now and then because along with thrill, indeed, there are those valley times where we, feel, where, where we, uh, where we don't feel so thrilled. But the thrill of hope is something that is deep within us. And that is what we encounter when we, when we anticipate and get ready for the birth of Jesus. And the thrill of hope that he brings is not just something for the month of December. It's not just something for the season of Advent. It's not just something that we, a thrill that we have going from 2020 into 2021. It is something that we have for eternity. And, that, and being thrilled by hope as the body of Christ means that we learn to live in that hope. And today, every week, we're going to be focusing on something that we can cultivate in our lives to continue to be thrilled by God's hope and grow that hope within each of us. Here's the downside, though. Advent starts off a lot darker than we want it to be. When you heard Bob reading this passage today, you may have thought to yourself, okay, where are the wise men? Where are the shepherds? Where's the baby Jesus? Where's the angel? Can we just get to Christmas and go ahead and celebrate this great and joyous thing? And yes, we are going to be doing that. We have already done that a good bit in song today as we have sung to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we have to begin in a little bit of darkness and remember our history of darkness of sin to fully anticipate and to fully appreciate what the thrill of hope that is coming to all of us. And that's how Advent always begins, with a little bit more darkness, a little bit more, uh, more wondering and mystery. And we build each and every week into a greater reality that Jesus is here and that he is coming and that he will come again. And let's just take a moment here to see where, G- where Jesus is today and where he's inviting us to be. In Mark's gospel that we heard today, this is what's going on. Jesus and his four closest followers, who happened to also be the first four disciples, he called Matthew, Andrew, I'm sorry, I got them wrong already, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They are the first four disciples, and they are his closest, the closest among the twelve to him. He's on the Mount of Olives with them, and he is teaching them. And they ask him a question about when will, these, when will the end of the world come, basically, And what will those signs be that they need to look for? Well, these were the exact same questions that we heard about last week. We were in Matthew's gospel, and these were the same questions. Matthew gave the same account that Jesus pulled these four close friends aside and began to teach them, and they asked the same question. We get two different perspectives, though. Matthew, we got part of Jesus' answer, which was the beautiful analogy of the sheep and the goats and the treatment of the least of these. What we're hearing from Mark today is a part of, of Jesus' answer that focuses on something a little bit different but is equally as important for us. And what is happening here is that Jesus is taking us back to an old, old story, and we miss that old, old story if we don't look real closely, and he brings us back to that to show the new thing he is doing. Look with me again in verses 24 and 25. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. 
There's darkness, there's light, there's a sun, there's moon, there's stars, there are lesser stars. Jesus is taking us back to a story, the very, very beginning, a very good place to start, as the old song says, where in the beginning God spoke light and light was created, where God spoke the sun and the moon and the stars into existence. Jesus is taking us back to the very first story of creation. Now, this creation story looks a little bit different from the one that the writer of Genesis tells us because in that story, everything is being created, but here it sounds like everything is falling apart. Here at the beginning of this passage, it's like Jesus is taking that creation story and just turning it upside down. But thankfully, that is not where the story ends. He goes on to say in verse 26, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Verse 27, He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Here we're hearing all of these things that God created, the earth, the wind, all, the clouds that are above. All of these are part of that creation story. And these are also images that come from the Old Testament prophets as well, where they were prophesying when the world would be shaken once again and that everything would be changed. Jesus is taking us back to that story, friends, not to scare us, not to bring us into a place of fear by any means. Jesus is bringing us along with his four closest friends back to this reality that the God who created all that is good is going to recreate and restore that which was lost as well. And yes, there will be shaking. Yes, there will be darkness. Yes, there is suffering. We all know and see this. We've read about it in the history books. We're experiencing it in the history that we're, the current history we're writing right now. The suffering, the darkness is there. But in the midst of all of that, God is recreating and restoring. The psalm that we began today's service with, Psalm 80, that we sang together, um, one of the words that recurs over and over in there is restore us, O God. Restore us. God is bringing back through Jesus Christ a new creation. And he wants for us to be an active part of what he is doing in that new creation. Because everything Jesus is saying to us here today, as he looks back to the stories that he and his disciples grew up learning, the images that they grew up with, he's bringing them before them again saying, the God who did all of this is going to do it again. And I am the son of man who was making that possible. You see, Adam was the first man and he fell from grace. And Jesus came as the second Adam to redeem the race that Adam, uh, that Adam failed. And Jesus is bringing that together as the son of man. And what we celebrate this Advent season is that God brought about that redemption, bringing us salvation from sin, not through a great and mighty king that tore open, literally tore open the heavens and came down to earth, but instead God did that through a, a little baby that came and was born into the earth under the most ordinary of circumstances, in the most hidden and the darkest of places. Bethlehem, as we'll talk about later this season, at the time of Jesus' birth, was a place of great suffering and darkness and oppression. And that is where God was born, into the middle of a dark and dreary night. I think it's so appropriate today that we have such dreary weather outside to lead us into Advent because it reminds us that this darkness is only but for a little while, for Jesus is making all things new. And not only do we hear this creation story being, re being told, our new creation story that Jesus is giving to the disciples and to us as his modern-day disciples, 
But then Jesus turns it around and brings something else back from the creation story that is so important. Look with me again in verse 28. From the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Trees are no stranger to the scriptures. In Psalm 1, the very first psalm, we hear that God wants us to be like a tree planted by the living water. Jesus is frequently stopping and looking at the fig trees. In fact, let's just for uh, for a moment, take a moment of humor here and remember that if we were just moseying by the Mount of Olives, you know, headed down to the town square to do our shopping or to go to the temple to perform the rituals of the day, and you could eat and you walk by and listen, just imagine you overheard Jesus having this conversation with these four friends of his. And he's telling them all of these things are going to happen. All of the stars are going to fall. The sun's going to And you think, well, that sounds like a familiar story. And then out of the blue, Jesus says, look at the tree. Let's stop and look at the tree and listen to what the tree is trying to teach us. Many of us would, 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 would bunch up our eyebrows at him and say, what is this guy talking about? And yet it was there in the thing that was mo- in the words that were most surprising that was that the words that were probably so ignored by so many who didn't understand him that Jesus spoke something that is so profound and so important for us. Because you see, it was a tree. It was a tree in the Garden of, the garden of Eden where God, that God set aside and said, keep this holy, keep this reverent. Don't trespass on this, my holiest place of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, made the mistake, and they, and they chose to disobey. And, and as a result, we have experienced the sin of those mistakes for years and years to come. But when Jesus looks at this fig tree, he points to it and doesn't say, hey, guys, remember how our ancestors messed up? Remember when Adam and Eve made that mistake and they took that which was holy and they trespassed on that which God had set aside and made, and made holy? No, Jesus looks at this fig tree and says, you know what? There's another tree that is blooming now, and, it's, and it is summertime for you see the fruit coming forth on it. And Jesus does not forbid them to eat the fruit, but instead he says, look at what God is doing right now. Because, and, and, and in that moment, Jesus is pointing to this and saying, I am going to take on the weight of humanity's skin. I am going to take on the heaviness of of the trees of this world, the tree that has become sin, and it will be shaped into a cross and it will be placed onto my back, and I will go and I will fall and I will rise, uh, fall into death for your sake, and I will rise again. We see here that the King of Kings chooses to fall under the weight of our skin and sin, and the weight of that cross cast down to the ground. And beaten so that we can have access to the tree of life the way that God originally designed it. Friends, God wanted from the very beginning for us to be able to share in that knowledge and of, and all of, in all of his glory. And, but he gave us some boundaries and we failed. And when we couldn't save ourselves anymore, Jesus became Jesus Christ, the apple tree. And he became the one who bore the weight of a dead tree on his shoulders so that we could all receive the newness of life. It is so important that we enter into this season, both the Advent season as well as this holiday season, as we prepare and order our lives for Christmas. 
it's important for us to stop and remember who and what this is all about. Jesus is inviting us to trust with the trees, to trust with the trees that he, is bear, that he has borne for us so that we can be trees that flourish by the living water. He wants for us to be the fig tree that is putting forth its fruit in due season. He wants for us to be a productive and a fruitful people, and he makes that possible with his own dying and his own resurrection. And he's asking us not to miss the signs of what he is teaching us, what he is bringing us, what he is giving to us. And he closes this out today by saying, you know what? Here is the hope. Here is the trust that you have with the trees I have given to you, the trees I am making you into today. He says in verse 30, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. Jesus is asking us today, friends, trust my words. The same words that brought creation into being are restoring and recreating each and every one of us into something new, something beautiful, and something oh so good. As we prepare to move into the last part of our service where we will share in more liturgy of blessing, more liturgy of celebrating the trees of life that are here in this place with us that represent so much more, I invite you to hear again some of these words from the song Rachel sang earlier. And may they, as Jesus Christ the apple tree, be a blessing and a nourishment for us as we prepare to move forward into this season, into this service, and into the rest of our lives together. I'm wearied with my former toil. Here I shall set and rest a while. Under the shadow I will be of Jesus Christ, the apple tree. With great delight I'll make my stay. There's none shall fright my soul away. Among the sons of men I see there's none like Christ, the apple tree. I'll sit and eat this truth divine. It cheers my heart like spiritual wine. And now this fruit is sweet to me. That grows on Christ, the apple tree. This fruit doth make my soul to thrive. It keeps my dying faith alive, which makes my soul in haste to be with Jesus Christ, the apple tree. To Jesus Christ, the apple tree, with whom we live and in whom we move and have our being, belongs all glory, along with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, the blessed three in one now and forever. Amen.